I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Paramang people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I just do it for the for the love of the story, you know, and I do it for the love of the people who are behind those stories. You know, we have such great um, history and tradition here in South Australia. People on the land, you know, we do all that. And, and, and for me, they're the salt of the earth and they're what, you know, what I love writing about. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Tony Love has a way with words. He's a South Australian-based professional wine reviewer, writer and editorial content creator. A true career journalist and lover of all things vine and wine. Hi Tony, thanks for joining me. Hi there Shante, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Oh, it's lovely to have you. I always enjoy our chats. Tony, I'm going to ask you a random question. Tell me the kind of, what's the most common one-liner you get about your last name? Um, oh... My, oh, okay, I, I basically get lots of weird stuff on my phone from people from all over the world, kind of, you know, with, uh, you, know, you know, wanting to know who I am or is, if my name's real, actually, more than anything. And, of course, it is. A, it's a real name. It's my, you know, my dad's name. Um, uh, it comes from the West Country in England. Amazing. Well, it's a wonderful name to have, but I did, you know, being pretty cookie cutter, I did have feel myself today going wandering around the house going oh I've got my podcast with the love machine and then I was like stop it what is wrong with you why are you saying that I do get I do get lots of nicknames they range from Dr. Love of course um, I've had lo- love dog um, it goes on and on but um, oh, Tilo I get um, occasionally from certain demographic um, which I kind of love in a kooky kind of way um, yep but yeah, I'm used to it. I've had it all my life. So, you know, it doesn't worry me anymore. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful association to have. Tony, tell me about if you have a first memory in wine. Well, I, I, I kind of do in a way, but it sort of goes way back. I mean, my memory in wine is from my childhood, uh, probably around the sort of age of 10 or 11 or 12, or probably around that age. Uh, I lived in a uh, war service home, working class suburb in Wollongong. My dad worked at the steelworks, and my mum was a Jewish refugee from um, from Nazi Germany. And uh, we had wine in our house, and we were probably the only house I knew of friends and everything at that age where wine was a thing. And uh, so I kind of had this memory of, and we we went to we came to South Australia. My father's brother lived. Um, in South Australia, and we—I remember going to Chateau Yaldara when I was probably about ten, and it was, and for me it was like a Disneyland kind of thing. It was a huge kind of old-fashioned German chateau kind of thing, and I remember Dad um, then bought was buying pink sect and uh, German sect for our you know for quote unquote champagne in our household, and probably we had other. We probably had some Shiraz or other things as well. So that's my first memory in terms of way back. But then the next thing I remember is uh, I was about 20 years old. I was on a gap year from university, travelling um, across Australia from – I was studying in Canberra, journalism and politics, etc. And I was uh, travelling across and staying in South Australia and working a bit and I had a day off and I went down to McLaren Vale and I remember going into – a big shed that was the only place that was open early in the morning and it was Ingleby's Wine uh, in McLaren Flat. And way at the end, I poked my head through the door 
or through the big kind of sliding door and there were two blokes down the end of this shed and they were tasting wine and they kind of saw myself and my friend and they said, come in, fellas. And we went down to the end of this shed and they showed us some wine and tasted us some wine with us and I was smitten at that moment. I was like, I like this. This is this is my world. So, um, so that was they're – they're my two pinpoint – kind of you know you know sort of memories of wine early on in my life mm, the time where it's kind of just in the the background and then the time where it kind of reaches in and grabs you it's pretty cool that you had that experience where someone you know just opens the door and says you know what are you doing do you want to come taste some wine i love that um that sense of uh involvement that's beautiful yeah, and it was, and, and I know, and I still see the fella to this day. Uh, his name's Walter Clappus. He's uh, the the winemaker or the, the the patriarch at the Hedonist Wines in McLaren Vale. And I only saw him literally a couple of weeks ago, and we we always have a a, a laugh about that moment because I always I always blame him for uh, you know for for my love of wine and for my life in wine. And I say it's your fault, Walter. You know. Well, I'll shout out to Walter because we're all very thankful that uh, that moment happened. <laughs> yes, and to Walter. Good on you, Walter. That's right. <laughs> now, tell me about how your career in, in writing began. Is that you said you, you studied journalism? Uh, was that at university? Yes. Well, in those days, it was Canberra College of Advanced Education, and it was one of only a couple of university of, you know, of tertiary courses in journalism. And so it was called uh, journalism. You had a sort of journalism and creative writing course there. It's now Canberra University, and uh, and that's where I studied. I had this kind of dream. Must have been a dream at some stage or other. I must have seen a Four Corners show or something rather when I was you know sixteen or seventeen, and and thought that's what I want to do. You know, I want to change the world. I want to be one of those you know foreign correspondents. And uh, so I studied there and uh, my life didn't go down the foreign correspondent route. It kind of, you know, led me in other directions, you know, when jobs became available. And uh, I worked in Sydney for 10 years or so in the magazine and book industry uh, in sort of outdoors adventure kind of magazines like uh, Overlander and Australian Outdoors. And I was a feature writer. I wasn't Overlander was like a four-wheel drive magazine, but I was wasn't the four-wheel drive person. I was writing features and uh, around all around Australia. I was was in the days where you could go off for two or three weeks and and write amazing, you know, long form articles, feature articles about life in the Channel Country in Queensland or the Kimberleys or whatever it might have been. And so I learned my I and practiced my my chops there in those in those long form articles. Um, and I spent 10 years in Sydney doing that. Then we had our first daughter, and and, and then we had our first daughter in 88 uh, uh, in Sydney, and uh, my wife's from, uh, Marina is from Adelaide, and we decided to come back to, to her place um, to have parental things going on with her and the children and everything, so we moved to Adelaide, and I got a job at the Adelaide Advertiser and was there for, as features editor, uh, and I was there for close to 30 years and left in 2018. So I kind of just followed. It was one of those things where I, you know, jobs come up, you take an opportunity and uh, and that leads you down a path. And eventually, you know, I was feature right. I was the features editor in charge of about 30 journos and artists and designers and sub-editors and then uh, moved into column writing and then I was graphics editor at the paper and then I um, then I became arts editor for a festival uh, when there was some controversy going on. And then at one stage, the editor then said, 
came up to me and said, Tony, look, we, we're, um, we've got a few changes in the food and wine section and we want to sort of focus on that a bit. And um, he knew that I was making some wine as a bit of an amateur thing with a few mates. And um, he said, you know how to do this stuff, don't you? you know, and he said, and your wife works at Petaluma um, your winery and restaurant and sell it all. You know all this stuff. You can do that. So he just – and that's how I got the job as, you know, taste editor, you know, food and wine editor – uh, section for several years and, you know, that mutated into restaurant reviewing and then eventually wine writing. Holy moly. I mean, I knew you had an, ex- you know, extensive career, but it is so layered with so many components. And I mean, I think that is why, you know, your writing is um, has so much breadth to it because you've had such experience writing for different demographics and, like you said, of of all the great outdoors and and that's you know essentially wine is is not just about stuff in a bottle it's about agriculture and and so much so but i do want to segue for one second and then i'm going to come back to um talking about working for taste but marina is one of the most vivacious wonderful humans in the world can you tell me what it was like when you first met her (laughs) someone been telling you secrets um well um well, we met in 82. So we've known each other now. We've been with each other for 40 years. So that's pretty amazing. And um, yes, and she's ex- exceptionally vivacious. And, and I consider myself to be incredibly lucky to have lived my life with her. Um, she was working in, she was working as a young actress. She was working in computers, the very early stages of computers. And um, we met at a Midnight Oil concert. There you go. And uh, very Australian. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and really haven't been apart since. So, um, and she's worked in the wine industry. Uh, when we moved to Adelaide, um, she basically got a job at Petaluma and then um, as that's gone through all sorts of, and since then in all sorts of different spots within the wine industry. And uh, worked for Steve Panel for a while, worked for the South Australian Wine Industry Association. The last five years or so, she's been marketing manager at Langhorne Creek Region and has um, had a gap year in the last year and is just starting to get back into a few things at the moment, you know. So, um, yeah, very lucky to have lived my life with her. Mm, If anyone is yet to meet Marina, she has a smile that will just absolutely knock your socks off and and just one of the warmest faces I've ever known and just a lovely human so the two of you (laughs) (laughs) so tell me now you're moving into like you said working uh for taste talk to me a little bit about what role kind of food played in your life in your kind of life up until that point well uh it goes back to the very first question about you you know my first memory of wine I lived in a house where uh, my mother was a you know fairly traditional you know European uh, cook, uh, but you know mutating that into Australian cooking as well um, in the uh, in the sixties uh, and so when my memories were there, and we just had um, good fresh rich classic food. My dad grew a vegetable garden, and um, so I was. Uh, we had good food in our house and good hearty food. You know, I remember we had you know, cook breakfast every day. Uh, Dad worked at the steelworks. 
and you know there were you know every day was a certain day of breakfast you know sausages you know lambs you know lambs fry uh, you know bacon and eggs one day a week it was almost set a set diary and um and so food was just part of how i lived you know it was just a natural part of our of, of my life and um and i guess it never never been uh, away from that and you know we traveled overseas and love you know eating um you know street food in asia love eating you know great kind of uh, classic foods in italy and and france so yeah we it's just been part of how we live and um i don't kind of think it is anything kind of you know something i don't think it is a focus or a thing that we do it's just part of how i breathe and and live so yeah that's how it is well you've had such an experience in terms of you know yourself you know cooking food obviously you're growing up around people that you know food was important to them but then also you know restaurant reviewing and writing about it did you ever get to a point where you felt that you were exhausted by that or going to restaurants and reviewing did you ever get to a point where you thought I don't want to do this anymore not really. I mean, it might probably be now, as you know, as I sort of look back on all that. I, you know, the, the, but I, I, I've got a kind of a, a, a sort of mindset where you know every day is a new day, and you know when I go to a restaurant, if I was going to a restaurant review, I just wanted it to be the best. You know, I didn't go with a set mindset of what it wanted to be. I wanted to go and do what it promised me it would do through its, you know, either its, you know press release or it's or it's hype or it's you know or people reviews I'd read or the word of mouth on the street sort of thing I just want I just was always looking forward to having a good time and 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 having the food tell me kind of what that restaurant was about and uh, what the people behind that restaurant believed in and uh, and I always went with that mindset and um, and in a vast majority of the times uh, that was um, that was sort of you know responded to, and I I had good time with it. Um, I suppose when you're doing you know top 100 kind of things, and you're sort of you know reviewing three restaurants a week to get to a deadline or something or other, it does become you know a chore sometimes. But you have to kind of as a professional, you have to kind of go nope. That's not a chore. This is this person, this restaurant, these chefs, these owners. They need as much fair go and as much kind of focus and concentration as I gave the last one and I gave the first one. And uh, and I've always had that attitude and I maintain it to this day when I'm tasting wine. You know, it's, it's always that. I mean, and very difficult. When I was doing Halliday um, for a season uh, a couple of years ago and, you know, I had 1,500 wines to do in a few months and um, it was just like, nope. Every wine, even at the end, when it was becoming a real hard task, I had to concentrate and go. No, this one deserves just as much attention as the very first one. So it's a it's a professional attitude, I guess. Yeah, it's very professional, and I commend you for it. <laughs> but you're right; when you do get down to the crux, sometimes, you know, my partner will say to me, "You know, you need to do more. You know, you've got you've got to get through a few more wines." I'm like, "No, I'm spent. Uh, I'm tired. I don't." that wine deserves more attention than that and I, I've got nothing left so I need to take a break and then I'll get back to it so I know what you mean um, but it is a great um, outlook to have and especially I think as well with restaurant reviewing every great restaurant reviewer I've ever spoken to had that mindset of um, they just being on their side and wanting them to win you know and not going in and wanting to pull something up to pieces they're kind of championing them and going yep I want you to 
you know, achieve everything that you've set out to do. So I really love to hear that. That's a wonderful aspect. I think it's really important to do that. I, I, and I think it's just like, and, and also I always have, when I'm in a restaurant, it's, it's not about me, it's about them. And it's about, and I spend a lot of time looking at other people in the restaurant and how they're experiencing the thing as well and how they're being treated because sometimes you know you get recognized and and you know and and you kind of go okay well i've been i've been sprung i just have to kind of you know see how this goes but then i look at a then i spend a lot of time at other you know looking around other tables and seeing how they're being treated and that's really important for me as well when you talk about writing You've written, like you said, some long feature articles. You've written, I'm sure, you know, 20 words on on a tasting note for wine. What gives you the most joy in writing in your life today? Hmm, good one. I mean, I, well, I guess I, I guess it's like, if whether it's a 20 word or a thousand word or 2000 words, um, for me, it's what gives me the joy is finding the right phrase is, is is writing. I don't sit down with with sort of a you know a game plan line by line of what I've got to achieve. I I take my notes. I do my transcriptions of interviews, and then I start. And the joy for me, the, the number one joy, the first joy, put it that way, is finding that lead paragraph, the first couple of paragraphs. What is what is what am I going to say that attracts somebody's attention, uh, not in a clickbait kind of way, but something that, you know, focuses in on the story that I've got ahead of me and I've got all the notes and all the information and I go, how do I, how do I tell this story in the first two or three paragraphs that then somebody will go, I love what this is about. I'm going to stay with this and read it. That's my number one joy. And then from then, I kind of, you know, I just move through my notes, new through, and, and I find it a very free form kind of writing. I've always done that. I mean, uh, in terms of feature writing, I've always allowed the story to lead me rather than me the other way, and that's my kind of mindset and my practice. Uh, when you're writing news stories for newspapers and things, then there's a there's a bit more kind of you know set discipline and what you have to do. Um, but even then, you know, the lead, the angle, you know, the the crux of it is. You know what's the what is the crux of the story, and that's that's the joy of it for me, and, st- and remains so. How interesting! To um, what do you read? Do you read a lot yourself, or do you find that you know writing all day and being in front of a computer, you like to do something else uh, when you kind of switch off, or is there something that you particular like fiction or nonfiction that you particularly like to read? If I could take a photo and show you of my de- my bedside table. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like it's it's like a kind of a high rise, um, you know, building of books. Uh, I I'm a I'm an avid reader. Uh, I probably read. Um, I love reading politics and history. Um, occasional. I'm, I'm not a huge um, crime fiction kind of person. I do occasionally, um, and I but I love uh, nonfiction and I love. Uh, I suppose historical fiction, in a sense, that's based on true stories that has been then fictionalised, um, and I and that's probably my genre, and do a lot of that. Um, professionally, I read most of the wine magazines and blogs and things that come, you know, that are out there. I mean, I read a lot of that. Um, I read the weekend newspaper, uh, feature newspapers. Um, so, yep, there's we've got a household full of books. And, um, and and other things. So, and that's for me. That is an incredibly important part of my practice and my my. Uh, it's a joy, and it's also a, a professional thing. Is that 
I think you have to read, you have to, uh, you have to see how other people are expressing themselves. You have to. It's all about ideas, you know. Uh, and there are, you know, there are a gazillion ideas out there in books, and I love coming across all that sort of thing. I mean, I'm about to. We're literally about to kind of in the next hour or so head into uh, Writers Week at Adelaide Festival and spend um, an afternoon in um, in Writers Week. So, uh, and you know, again, that'll be. That's all week. That's till Thursday, and we'll be on and off uh, down there, listening to other writers talk about their practice and their ideas and um, their thinking pra- uh, processes and everything. And it's a, it's one of my great joys in life, and Marina's as well. So uh, we read, and we read very different things. Well, I guess that's probably why the house is full of books because we've got two lots of people with two different genres and and loves, and uh, and we've made a we've made a promise to ourselves this this year that you know we will start. Um, Cleaning our bookcases up, um, and and uh, and parting with ones that we haven't read for a long time, or we don't think you know, we'll read again, um, which will bring me great sadness as I see them leave the leave the house and go to the local bookshed. But you know, one has to do what has to do, one has to do sometimes. Oh, I can't imagine. I I've recently done something similar because I hold on to them, and I think you know, I thought maybe I'll I want to read this book to my child or. One, and I, I just kept holding on. And books are heavy. And when you move house, you're like, my God, the amount of books. And um, and so I've got rid of a lot later and thought, oh, I'll have to just buy them again if I want them again. Uh, but some of them, you know, you've read and reread a thousand times. And it is. It's like letting go of your, a little baby. It's hard. It's a little. It is. It's letting go of a baby. But, you know, there is a thing called a library. And, uh, you know, we belong to the local library, you know, to the South Australian library system. And, and uh, that helps us out as well. Um, if we want to, and uh, and there's a lot of cookbooks that come into the house through the library system, and um, as well, and that's something that, that's a pleasure for both of us to look through and garner ideas, and and you know a lot of that's from Middle Eastern kind of genre, I guess, as well as Scandinavian Middle Eastern um, sort of genre of cookbooks and things. So yep, and. Um, uh, yep. So it's all there. It just keeps on coming. Ideas, ideas, ideas. You've just blown my mind by bringing up a library. I'm like, oh yeah, libraries. I mean, the last time I was in a library, I was using it to study for some wine exam. Just was the place to be quiet. But I've forgotten that there's a whole institution of being able to rent a book and take it back. That's outrageous. <laughs> and and uh, outrageous and totally brilliant and such a wonderful thing for our society to be able to do. And um, I love going into libraries. I, I, I love going into bookshops. Um, these are, you know, these are my happy places, you know. Um, blokes love doing things like, you know, um, hardware stores and, you know, that sort of thing. And, I, and I'm and i a huge fan of them, but I'm also a huge fan of, you know, bookshops and stationery stores, you know. <laughs> Must be something in my, my 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 world of publishing and writing that you know has those things. Hmm. There's something about a journal. I've been a, a, a avid journaler my whole life, so there's something about a brand new journal and a nice pen that is just. Uh, I totally get it. I, I froth over a little bit too. But I want to ask you. I mean, what are your thoughts on something like Audible? You know, where books are read aloud by actors and and other people. Is do you find that is just a complete sin? I don't find it a sin uh, at all. Uh, not something I do. I we we have done 
in the past on long road trips, you know, across the country where we've, um, in days when cars had, you know, cassette players or CD players. And uh, I'm sure, you know, now we could do, of course, that we could do it streaming. So we have had that in the past, but I've, I find it distracting in a way. And I, I, I need to concentrate on what I'm reading 100%. Nothing else. I can't read with other sounds around me or other distractions like, you know, driving or, you know, other things. So for me, um, I get it and I know lots and lots of people love it. Uh, I can only do English voices. I apologise to the American um, yeah, people who may be listening. Um, I just – I can't – I just don't – I just don't gel with the American accent in reading some of those things, but I love the English accent uh, or and variations on the English accent. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I'm now really 100% reader um, in in printed form rather than audible. Hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely can get on board with anything Stephen Fry does, I have to say. I'm a big Audible listener and I realise it is kind of lazy, but I find that I am able to ingest and digest a lot more content by listening in my day-to-day life. I don't find I have a lot of time to sit down with a book and I do do it, you know, before bed often, but it's only usually, you know, like 20 minutes. So, uh, you know, I, I consume a lot of Audible and, and the, you know, being read a book is one thing, but being read and told a story really well is quite another. So, but I want to talk about how has the, the social media world affected journalism and affected kind of the world in which you live? Well, it's had a huge impact. I mean, the digital the digital space and digital um, journalism and social media has just really changed very, very quickly um, the world that I was brought up in, um, in terms of uh, journalism and uh, newspapers and magazines and stuff. Uh, fortunately, books, you know, there was this belief that books would be suffering as well, but I don't think that has happened. I think people understand that readers are readers and um and so i think that's a great thing and people love reading and and love uh, you know as you say you know good storytelling so social media is another aspect altogether i get it um and i am part of it as part of my work practice um i don't i'm not an avid um i'm not a blogger and on a regular thing and i don't do selfies or anything like that for me um i I believe that social media should still be a platform to tell a story, whether it's with a visual component as well as a caption or a mini story component. Um, and there's an art in doing that. So um, I'm, I have no problem with it. I don't, I'm not a kind of an old man and shaking his fist at the cloud going, you know, how dare you take, you know, ruin the world sort of thing. But um, there are lots of pitfalls and lots of challenges to make it, um, to make it work well. Uh, and I look at it every day uh, across a, you know, Instagram and very, you know, a little bit of um, Facebook, but mostly Insta. The wine business works mostly through the Insta platform, and um, and so I do look at that, and I and I do rue the fact that. Um, you know, newspapers. Well, people have changed their practice. You know, I mean, people don't read newspapers anymore, and that may be because of, you know, a, a faster pace in the world. It may be because newspapers have lost their way um, and they're trying to respond to, uh, you know, clickbaiting more and more or whatever it might be. There's, you know, that's a, this is a discussion that could go on in Writer's Week for five hours and, and never come to a conclusion. But, um, but you know, I, I 
get it and I and I like to see people using it really well and uh, and you see a lot of people not using it well uh, in terms of messaging in certainly in the wine business that I look at so I, I um I keep an eye on it and I and I am part of it uh, and I want it to be I want it to kind of work and I want it for people to understand how it works and I want kids and you know teenagers and you know to understand how to use it properly and not be a victim of it and not be an, um, you know not be caught up in it so that it's all that exists uh, and I'm a, I, I do fear as a as an old school kind of journo and and a writer that 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 is you know happening more and more that there's just people on their phones you know with their eyes glued to their screen and and you know scrolling and whatever and I get all that I don't have a problem with it at all but um, I gee I wish I, I would just want people to understand it better. Mm, yeah, there's so much power in there, isn't it? And that can just be used for great things and really can go the other way too. So, you know, I, I often see people kind of, whether, whatever it may be, consuming, you know, TikTok, whatever it may you know, five seconds of, of a snapshot of something. And I think, God, if you use that time to read a well-published article, you'd have that little arsenal or that little bit of knowledge from that Whereas what do you have from just scrolling for half an hour on TikTok? You've just got this massive amount of information of bits and pieces and you don't know the calibre of who these people are or or what, you know, background they have behind them and, and what qualifications. And it is very scary, I think. And, um, and I don't know how, yeah, to navigate it myself sometimes either. So um, I, for me, I think it's better to um, kind of get your source of information from lots of different various um avenues and then maybe you know you you come across something worthwhile (laughs) absolutely and i think i think you touched on a really interesting point there about the five second thing you know it's like i mean what are you going to get in five seconds you're going to get a headline you're going to get a a a fast you know single opinion or whatever it might be and it's not the story it's not the full picture and you know that then leads to all the kind of you know troubles that we've seen through the american election period and all that sort of stuff you just get you know sort of blah you get kind of you know uh and and there's and you just aren't able to make you know a a well-formed um sort of opinion or well-formed information from that kind of um uh you know sort of news gathering um or news intake and 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 information intake and and yes you're right i mean to and i'm sure there you know this is being taught now in schools is is about understanding you know social media understanding uh, sort of the, the the vast amount of information that comes into people now and how to read that and how to analyze that and uh, you know and now we have of course the rise and rise of ai very quickly and um and you know chat gtp etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's a whole new level on uh, of what people need to understand and be able to analyze so you know it's um and and for me part of that is really exciting and part of it's scary so you know i i um yeah that's the way it is yeah it's it's forging ahead whether we like it or not and it you're right i mean two minds i'm exactly with you there uh tony what advice would you give to young writers that are up and coming now uh well i mean i do do a bit of mentoring as well um through my you know through uh sort of official kind of you know formats as well as informal through friends and friends of children and other things um and look i think it's about 
much of what we've spoken about already today you know it's about reading it's about uh you know understanding how um how ideas think you know and being there ready to I, I sort of say to people you know you've got a a good story starts in the brain you know um it, it's it's a mindset it's, it's it's like what is the story learn what figure out for yourself what the story is and then work out how to tell it in your own unique way i think you know, sort of that individual uniqueness in a, in a writer's form, in a writer's language is incredibly important. And uh, so I do encourage people to kind of, you know, write, 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 practice, 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 read, read, read. There, you know, it is not something that's going to come instantaneously. You know, I mean, I'm, I've been doing what I've been doing for 45 years plus, and I approach every day as though it's a new day and it's my first story in a way um and i think that's you know the expectation through you know blogging and all that sort of thing well you know that's one form but it's not the only form um and that instantaneous kind of expectation these days that you know you're going to be you're going to be a hero in the you know in the first time round. well that isn't the case in any form um so i just say to people just work write, get up every day you know sort of or you know when you're working and 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 just write and you'll get better at every time you write a new sentence and uh, and that's the same with me still after 45 years i still believe that um that uh, it's all about the practice if you were to think i mean big question but if you were to think about your career um over all of that time is there a certain publication or is there something that you're most proud of uh, hmm, interesting. Um, well, I, I guess there was, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of pretty happy with where I am now in terms of the writing I'm doing within Daily and SA Life, Solstice Media in South Australia. The, the, the brief has always been just write great stories about South Australian wine or, you know, culture of wine, etc. And I love that and I, I love doing that. Um, I did work for several years in Sydney with Time Life um, books in uh, sort of you know, department um, as an edit- editor, the Australian editor and of a series of books, Australians at War, and I really was proud of that whole series that we did. Um, that was around the late 80s, uh, yeah, late 80s during the bicentennial sort of period. It was a project then, and that was like a series of the classic Time Life books that, you know, again, is about writing history for mass readership and i that's a, a real love of mine um is to be able to sort of write those kind of great stories of our war period and that was like way back from colonial wars right through to vietnam and afghanistan and all well, it wasn't afghanistan by then um and so uh that was a really proud moment of mine but uh i love i just you know the stories that have been published and um, that it were good long form stories that spent a lot of time working on, uh, including lots of research. Everyone, I I love all of them. You know, I I, I treat them all with great respect um, when I read back at them, and quite often I kind of read them back and go, yeah, that's not well. You know, I'll, that's that's well said, well written. I'm happy with that. Whoever wrote this did a good job. And if I feel like that, then I feel like you know, I'm happy with that. I think. Uh- what I, you know, love about you is that you're so well respected 
And I think that, you know, after being in the industry for so long, um, having to put so much down on paper, um, covering controversial things and everything, you're just very well respected all throughout Australia uh, as a writer. Um, and you represent South Australia so particularly well because you're so ingrained in all of the aspects of life and you really champion them. And I think that um, that's something to be really, really proud of. Oh, thank you, Shantae. That's really kind words for you to say that. And I, and I feel really closely connected here. And, um, and you know, if you're going to be doing what I do as a freelance writer, um, well, I've niched myself in, in South Australia. And if there's one, if there's one state you can do it, um, I reckon it's South Australia because there's so much here and all the great institutions, you know, like the AWRI, our Wine Research Institute and Wine Australia and all and all the, the great regions around me. I mean, uh, you know, I can do it here and I love doing that. And, and um, I mean, I don't do this for respect. I don't, you know, I mean, I, I appreciate what you say and I really, you know, I, I really uh, love the kind words and I – and uh, but I just do it for the for the love of the story, you know, and I do it for the love of the people who are behind those stories. You know, we have such great um, history and tradition here in South Australia, as well as a great, um, you know, sort of forward thinking and you know, new generations, and all those things are, are people. It's all about people, and as you said, you know, earlier on, agriculture, people on the land. You know, we do all that, and 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 for me, they're the salt of the earth, and they're what, you know, what I love writing about. I agree with you, definitely. It's 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 a joyful place to be to represent um, people and this amazing country that we live in. Uh, Tony, tell me about three beverages that you'd drink for the rest of your life if you could only have three. Three, right? Can I have more than three? No, no, like I won't. Um, uh, I would uh, three beverages. Well, I suppose it comes down to in well on a hot summer's day, it'll be a beer or a gin and tonic, um, and a riesling, beautiful riesling. <laughs> That's three, but then there's more than that. Come on, um, Chardonnay. I'll drink Chardonnay just about any day of the year, um, and I love. Grenache, and I have loved Grenache long before it became a popular thing in the last few years. Um, I love um, sand-oriented grown Grenache, like from Vinevale in the Barossa and from Blewett Springs in in McLaren um, Vale. They're two of my favourite things. Um, and I love um, method traditional sparkling wine and i say that rather than champagne because i live in the adelaide hills and there are some amazing wines in the adelaide hills so um so i love them as well so there's way more than three um i hate it when people say can you just give me three things or what are the things you know what 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 is the meal that you would eat on you know on death row and i go no, 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 I can't. I can't answer that. I'd have to. You have to give me ten things. <laughs> so uh, I can't limit myself. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, like you said, we do. We have so much at our fingertips, but it always gives you a little insight into, to kind of how you tick and and you know your palate and and what you love, which is which is why I do it. But um, you know, Tony, it's been completely enlightening. I love what you do. Uh, like I said, you're so well respected, and uh, you know. 
what an incredible uh, career you've had so far. Um, I could probably ask you a million questions and I actually have a few more here. So we might have to do part two another another time. But thank you for your time today. It's always a real uh, pleasure to sit down and chat to you. Thank you very much, Shante. It's been a real joy to have a chat to you and I really appreciate your kind words and, um, and, you, and your questioning lines. It's been really friendly and really lovely to talk. So thanks a lot. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod.com and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.